reading from the Gospel of the 18th chapter, beginning with the 15th verse. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm going to do something a little weird. I know that's a shot, right? I'm going to play something for you, Michael. I'm going to hold it up to this microphone here. Let's see if you recognize this. If you recognize it, raise your hand. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. That makes you happy, doesn't it? No. My child. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He was also very likely completely despised in his community. He was very likely the person in town that everybody loved to hate. He was ostracized. He was looked down upon. He was the worst kind of sinner you could be. Song doesn't quite convey that, does it? (laughs) But that's why Zacchaeus' story is important. I wonder, do you know the rest of that story? How many of you know the rest of the story? Anybody? Some of you know the rest of the story. What did Zacchaeus do? He climbed up in a tree. And why did Zacchaeus climb a tree? For the Lord he wanted to see. (laughs) To see Jesus. And you know what's absolutely amazing about this story? Is that Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Because everybody else in town 
I would bet you, made a habit of ignoring Zacchaeus, of making sure they did not see Zacchaeus, that they didn't have to speak to him. They were like the man in the story I told the children who wanted to build a fence between him and his brother so he wouldn't even have to see him. But Jesus did see him. He didn't ostracize him. He didn't berate him. No, Jesus saw him with compassion when no one else cared about Zacchaeus. Tax collectors were despised and hated because they worked for the Romans. There's another tax collector whose interaction with Jesus is important for us to ponder today. Matthew. The person that Christian tradition says wrote the gospel that we're reading this year. It seems his name could have also been Levi in Hebrew. It's thought that he, that his name might have pointed toward him being a member of the priestly tribe of Israel, the Levites, who were called to serve in the temple. But Matthew chose not to follow his birthright and serve in the temple, but instead he chose to serve the greed and power lust of Rome. Matthew chose to be a tax collector, to line Rome's pockets and his pockets off of the impression of his people. Here's the story of what might likely have been one of the strangest days of Levi's life. A story of Matthew being called to follow Jesus. Who, by the way, also calls us to follow him. He goes like this. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And get this, Jesus went to the traitor's house. Jesus went to the traitor's house and ate with him, sat at his table and shared his food, may have even drank from the same cup that he drank from. Is there any higher form of acceptance than inviting someone to dinner or sitting at a table with someone? While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees, you know, they were the ones who thought they knew better. When they saw Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The call of Jesus is a call of reconciliation. Reconciliation with God and with others. For in Christ, God was reconciling the world to God's self. And apparently that meant Jesus sitting at a table and eating with the least, with those his society believed least deserved God's mercy. Jesus sitting at a table and eating with people that everybody else thought was dead to them.
those dreaded tax collectors and sinners. This causes me to wonder what Jesus might have actually meant when he gave us his final instruction on what to do about someone who has sinned against us. Jesus said, if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. It might help to remember that for Matthew's audience, Gentile was synonymous with sinner. The two words are interchangeable. If you were a Gentile, you were a sinner. If you were a sinner, it probably means you were probably a Gentile. Knowing what we know now about Jesus and tax collectors and sinners, you might think, hey, I don't know anything about a tax collector, about being one. Well, I don't either. I've never been one. And you might think, I don't know anything about being a sinner, but that's probably not true, is it? One thing that we do know something about is being a sinner, myself included, And we know that Jesus came to call tax collectors and even Gentile sinners like us to follow him. I know as a matter of fact that Christ has called all of us sinners here today to join him in a meal of grace and mercy and love at his own table. We might ask ourselves, How should we understand Jesus' statement? Let that one be like a Gentile and a tax collector. How does it change that sentence that Jesus said it? It might help to think how it would change the sentence if we said it. It seems to me that tax collectors are just about as popular today as they were in Jesus' time. Amen? There was a man who was walking along the beach when suddenly he heard a woman screaming. She was kneeling down in front of her small child and screaming and screaming and screaming. And finally he figured out that she was yelling, swallowed and coin. And suddenly he knew that that meant that her little boy had swallowed a coin. And he ran over to the little boy, pushed the mother aside, picked the little boy up, grabbed his ankles, turned him over, shook him like that. And a big, pretty, shiny quarter fell on the beach. And the woman was profusely thankful. She said, thank you, thank you, sir, thank you. How did you know how to do that? Are you a doctor? And he said, no, ma'am, I work for the IRS. It's funny because we don't like them. We don't like tax collectors any more than people in Jesus' day did. And if we, if I said, let them be like a sinner or a tax collector, we say, that's right, preacher. We ain't never talking to them again. Go get defense building tools. Let's shut them out. They don't belong here. They can't come here. Right? I'm ashamed to admit that's true, aren't y'all? If we said it, we would know what we meant. Let them be like a Gentile or a tax collector. We would be saying, leave them in their isolation. Let them be. Leave them in their misery. Be done with them. We don't need them here anyway. Who cares? 
She's dead to me. She doesn't matter anymore. If we said that sentence, I think it would be fairly easy to interpret it that way and trust that that means that we don't have to mess with that old so-and-so anymore. We did everything we had to. We went and talked to them in private. We were nice about it. We took two or more people. We all sat there and agreed that I was right. And they wouldn't listen. So we told the whole church, and the whole church said, You're right, preacher. So we ain't got to mess with them no more. We ain't talking to them. They're dead to us. Unfortunately, that's how people have interpreted that text for a long time. The problem with that is that we didn't say it. Jesus said it. And if Jesus said it, that means it can't mean what we think it means. It can't mean that it's okay for us to say someone is dead to us. The problem is we didn't say it. Jesus, the Son of God, said it. The one whose opponent said about him, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Do you hear that, church? Our Lord, that's what he was accused of. That was his high crime of being a friend to tax collectors and sinners. Someone who would dare love the unlovable. We're called to follow the friend of sinners. That one said it. That Jesus. The friend of sinners. The one who shared a table with those whom others thought should be cast out of the community. We hold in our hearing today words formed by a sinner no one else wanted anything to do with. But Jesus called Matthew that friend of sinners who shared a table with people others thought we should treat as if they're dead to us. When Jesus say this, can we really hear it as justification to be done with someone who has sinned against us? Can we really hear it as justification to live as if someone is dead to us? To ignore the hurts and misery of others? Or should we hear it as a call to be merciful? After all, it was Jesus who having heard their charge against him, when they said about him, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus said to those people, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So dear ones, today as we come to Christ's table of mercy, perhaps we should ponder in our own hearts what it means to have Jesus say to us to treat people who have wronged us as people, other people would say it's okay not to love. Perhaps he means for us to be intentional about trying to be reconciled to them. Perhaps he means to us not to give up on them. Perhaps he means not to treat them as though they're dead. Let us ponder what our Lord would have us do as we come to his table, a table of love, 
of mercy and reconciliation.